Do not let social media fool you. The talking points will say that black women hate black men, but in reality, they're our biggest supporters. Hello to niggas and niggas only. This is your boy Keese and welcome back to another episode of This American Negro. This American Negro is a show that aims to bridge academia in the hood through social, political, and pop culture references just so we have an access point of like, hey, here's this big academic thing we're talking around, but also like here's an easy way to connect it. I think that information is super valuable and I think we should be able to communicate that from, you know, them niggas in academia and also the niggas on the stoop because... We should all have access to it. But first and foremost, please welcome back to another episode. Thank you if you are watching this. Thank you if you are listening to this. If you are watching this on YouTube, feel free to hit that like and subscribe button. That is going to be super important for me just as I'm building out this YouTube channel. And YouTube is definitely just a different beast in itself. So thank you of those who are also getting there. I cannot wait to get to 500 subscribers, okay? Because we out here. And if you are also listening to this, um, on any podcast streaming platform, make sure that you also hit the subscribe button and also like this episode. Please leave me a rate and review depending on which platform you are on. That is super useful as well. Also, support me if you can monetarily. Um, so I am... G- getting a little bit more time to finally ramp up this um, Patreon. And once again, I have a little bit more of a capacity to do so. So if you want to support me monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash Marquise Davon. That's M-A-R-Q-U-I-S-E-D-A-V-O-N. Once again, that is patreon.com slash M-A-R-Q-U-I-S-E-D-A-V-O-N. And you can go for as little as $2 a month or $24, which is $24 a year or whichever you have the capacity to pay for. I appreciate you nonetheless. And yeah, there's all the, you know, administrative stuff to get out of the way. But this is more of an at-home style of me doing this. I'm not in the studio. I'm not using lights. I'm not using these big fancy cameras. I just have me and my mic. I really just wanted to get back to the essence of me just as a podcaster, Um, especially because I know everything's moving into video as a content creator and video podcasts are the things to kind of get it out. But I know my main base has always been um, from a listening platform and making sure that I'm still super serving my people and not leaving y'all out to dry because I'm not built like that. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) So it's been such an interesting time lately. But I appreciate those of you who are still rocking with me. Thank you to those that are continuously supporting me. Thank you for those who are engaging across Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, and all the different platforms as well. Um, I love, love, love that y'all like the Hey Black Man miniseries, and that's just a good opportunity for me to just do, like, quick little, like, check-ins, too, right? Like, things that are working for me. It doesn't have to be highly academic. It doesn't have to be overly produced. It is just one of those things where I can just be like, hey, here's reminders to myself. Here's what's working for me right now, and what does that really start to look like? So, once again, thank you all for continuously supporting that. Um, Thank you all for continuously just, like, supporting me. 
because <laughs> I feel like I, I'm feeling like Normani right now, a very inconsistent creator, but I'm trying to get back on that schedule and really having time for me and what truly matters in that moment. So in true podcast faction, there's you guys for all of that good introduction stuff. Now let's get into a quick wellness check-in and just check in. Like, what are you feeling right now? Um, my last hey black man really focused on like how are you sustaining joy and for me that was a big goal for me this year but i found myself like struggling to like maintain that joy maintain that excitement maintain um those moments and i was never ever ever like a very pessimistic person and i was talking to someone and they were just like i feel like you continue you're able to find like oh here's the negative of what's going on and to hear that that threw me because that was never me. I'm also somebody who is just like, sometimes it's annoyingly. As much as other painfully optimistic people get on my nerves, I too am that painful optimistic person as well. <laughs> and so for me to be like, y'all, like this is important. And like, here's the little things to still like think about as little wins. I found myself unable to find that. And I don't like getting into that space because I feel like a I'm on a hamster wheel. I'm not processing uh, nothing is there. I'm looking for a solution that's not there. And in reality, I just need to change a condition that I'm in. And so I to hear that from somebody else, it like it was a kind of a gut check, but also something important for me to see too, right? Like I was struggling for this year and I was talking to my friends about it. I was like, this has been a year where everything just feels out of control. I don't have solutions to everything. Things are just continuously in flux. And I've experienced pockets of sustained joy in those quick bouts, even as my life was all over the place in other capacities. Um, So in that, I, I think I was fighting for control all over again. And in that fighting for control, it started to kind of take a little bit more of an out, uh, uh, hit on me. I'm becoming a lot more rude. I'm short with people. I My uh, bandwidth to like sustain and like deal with stuff has gone out the window. And I don't like getting into that space um, because that changes my relationships with people. It affected me as a teacher. It's affecting me in my own personal relationships. And I did not want to continue to maintain in that space because if I would have... I don't know if I would have been able to really, really um, maintain myself or maintain relationships and really what was important to me. And so for me, I shoot, I can't believe I did it because y'all, I I don't like to quit on things. But to sit here and just like be like grad school is not for me right now and to leave has been a moment of like, (sighs) It was like such a huge weight off of my shoulders, but I feel like I got back into a space that um, allowed me to dream again. It allowed me to have space to imagine. It allowed me to have space to think about who is Marquise as a creative and the thing that truly, truly gets me. And it's not like grad school was never in the cards for me, but I think just the timing of it was not it. And I was trying so hard to be Superman. I was trying so hard to maintain being a full-time teacher, a full-time grad student, and a full-time creative, and knowing that those things could not exist. I was at overcapacity because I, in my mind, I needed grad school to get my certification in order to stay stay a teacher as long as possible. Um, And I still got to figure out what the consequences of that will be coming up within the near future, right? Uh, But also recognizing that like creating is the thing that really sustained my joy. I, I, I realized like 
the two things that I truly love are teaching and creating. I really, really love being in that space. And so when there was potential for me to lose that space to create, I was just like, I've been in a space where I couldn't create. And that space that I couldn't create was dark. And I did not know how to sustain myself because for me, that is a space where I am fully uninterrupted. I am in my full form. I am the space that I want to be. And like, there's no politics that I have to play. There's no nothing. I get to just create, imagine, be daring, take risk and do all of this stuff. And for me to not be able to exist in that, there was, it was stress that was pounding onto me that just did not make sense. <laughs> and I couldn't make sense of it, right? Like I'm trying to sit here and just be like, all right, this is going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. But I was like tired of lying to myself and tired of going back to that space where I felt like I had to do everything. That's how I grew up. I feel like I reverted back 11 years. I went back to 16-year-old Marquise that was trying to be in AP classes, be a full-time student, make sure I worked at McDonald's on top of working every single day. I'm also trying to do the school show, which is evenings and find time to sleep and rest in between and do all of this. But my body's not built like that anymore. My emotional capacity is not built like that. My mental capacity is not built like that anymore. Um, especially because I've experienced pure forms of relaxation and I don't even know if relaxation is it, but knowing like what it means to not have to over encumber myself. And I think that's it. Like I, I have I've always had trouble with like fully sitting my ass down and just relaxing. But this time felt a little different. Um, so to actually sit there and say I'm dropping out and knowing that it was OK, I, I was smiling. <laughs> this, it was wild to witness. But I was like, I need to get back to my roots. I need to really just focus on like what made me happy, who I am, and will expand who I am to be. So in that, I'm just like, cool, I'm not doing this grad school thing, but I'm damn sure going to end up on a 30 under 30 list. I'm damn sure going to end up on CultureCon next year. I'm damn sure going to make sure that my content goes above and beyond and it's reaching as many people as possible, but also it's still of quality. And I think that's the part that for me, I was like, this is the stuff that's important. This is the stuff that motivates me. This is stuff that makes me daring. This is the stuff that makes me not exhausted after work because this is rejuvenating my energy. And so I hope as I kind of did that check-in, check-in with yourself. Are you doing things that serve you? Are you doing things that make you happy? Um, and do you have choices? I think uh, just think about the choices that you make. Think about the trade-offs that you may have to make depending on the position that you're in and then build out from there. So once again, thank you just for doing that quick check-in with me and just sitting here <laughs> in my own shit as I like process out loud uh, with you But I really, really am appreciative of the space that we are in. Um, and yeah, take a quick, take a quick break, whatever you need. Grab a drink of water, take a quick lap. We're going to get into this episode and I feel like this episode is going to be giving just a little heavier than normal. Not, I don't know if it's heavy, but it's kind of heavy-ish. But I'm very interested in the space that we're going to get into. So take time. Cool. So this episode, I'm really going to get into this topic around like the fact that us as a black community have so much trouble with holding black men accountable in a way that feels good, in a way that feels healthy, in a way that feels productive. And I'm going to kind of take us through where how I think we got to this moment and I'm particularly going to talk about black men that we have in the public imagination and our relationship to black women and 
honestly just all over because it's a lot of space in terms of like hip-hop culture but cultural icons but if i'm gonna be fully honest this drawing goes all the way back to oj <laughs> um oj simpson was one of the first cultural icons that actually forced us to really think about like yo are we willing to look the other way for somebody who allegedly did this very violent thing to a woman right and it's so interesting because us as a black community, we always have to uh, look at what does public accountability look like, especially for those who are in the spotlight. So for us to be able to hold somebody accountable or for someone to be like, hey, this is just, it's also us having to unpack like years and years and years of injustice that happened to black folks. It's also us having to really just unpack the fact that, hey, honestly, we, these white people are not going to get this over on us. So we're going to ensure that whatever going on with OJ we rally behind him. That's it. <laughs> and I don't know if that was like the full thing for everybody, but I do know in the public, a lot of black people were just like, we need a win. And this black man winning and becoming innocent is the win that a lot of us need uh, because of how dirty the cops were, how dirty white people were in terms of this case, in terms of how we are talking about OJ. And we have to combat racism and having to deal with like, what does it look like in our community to just be like, eh, you know, wink, wink, <laughs> right? Um, and I think about him as an icon of people who are just like, if I would have did it, oh, still nigga. Oh, OJ's not black, I'm OJ. Like, he is this person that we see that transcends. Well, he, in his mind, he transcended, and he did not because they reminded him, you still a nigga at the end of the day. Um, but I think beyond that, I'm thinking more about, like, the public response to it, Right? There are still black folks who want to defend him. There are still black people who are, can name this thing, but we're just going to be like, actually, we don't got to hold you account on this because this is the win that we want all together. And we protected him. Right. We fought for him. We, we wanted to ensure that this thing wasn't happening. And so I think in that OJ situation, and especially as I'm thinking around now, the era of cancel culture, I don't know if we've actually found the balance of accountability, calling somebody in, calling somebody out. And for this episode, I wanted to get particularly into the complexity of dealing with black men in the public imagination and how that lends to our inability to actually hold black men accountable on all fronts in a way that is still progressive, in a way that is still valuable, in a way that doesn't ostracize, right? <clears throat> and again, this isn't going to be like, all the solutions are there, but it's going to be a deep observation of trends that I'm noticing in terms of how we go about talking about black men, but also how we neglect everybody else. And black men are still the most protected group in our community, out, like point blank period. And I don't know if black men always realize that, right? Um, so it's making me even think around like Irv Gotti. And Ashanti, right? And I'm thinking, I'm getting me more into like hip hop culture too, right? But in her conversation on in real life with Angie Martinez, she talked around like her, like Ashanti mentioned like her and Ja Rule. And there's something to say around how men still are not confrontational with each other. We don't, we don't do that with our boys in a way outside of like, hey. You're doing this, you're doing this messed up stuff right now. 
I need you to actually not be doing this because this is not good for you. And you have to have to think about how this can impact somebody else and the harm that you may be doing. We're not having that conversation because us as black men, a lot of the times and I, I even fall to it. I get uncomfortable with holding my boys accountable, right? And I had to do it so much. And I remember sitting in a position over the summer of just being like, yo, bro, like you did this thing that was bad. <laughs> and it was hard because for me and him, he's somebody I really respect. But to see that side of him and see the part of him that wasn't fully healed, I'm like, oh, I still see a little bit of humanity in him. Because of me seeing humanity in him and because of me loving him, we both had anxiety around talking to each other about this stuff. It became a frustration that we both had and we would have arguments. When I tell you, <laughs> calling him out on some things and calling him in on some things, it was just like, well, who made you the morally upstanding person? And I'm just like, yo, this is just some stuff that I do not tolerate. And in that, it was super interesting because it was a consistent conversation around like, do we know how to be good to our brothers, right? And when Ja Rule talked about it, she, well, when Ashanti talked to him around like, hey, this interview's coming out. Um, I don't think you defended me enough. He said he's going to remain Switzerland instead of defending her, right? And so instead of defending her, this meant that him and Irv's relationship can maintain what it was because he looked at them both as siblings. But in reality, you couldn't even call your brother out for doing the harm he's causing to your sister. And to me, I'm like, that's kind of wild, right? So you're able to see somebody in pain. You're able to see somebody hurt. You're able to see somebody who is clearly attacking another person regularly, right? And because of that, you said, yo, I'm going to remove myself from this situation. Oftentimes, that's what men do. Because we're just like, yo, I can't hold my brother to account because if I hold my brother to account, what if he tries to hold me to account? And it becomes a tit for tat thing if I'm going to keep it a bean. Like, that's really what it is. And like this idea of like, we are not perfect because sometimes accountability causes fear. Accountability means that we're going to be uncomfortable because I think for black men, accountability and mind you, I'm talking about Javru and Irv. That's that could be a private conversation. That doesn't actually have to happen in public, Right. I think some things need to happen in public when he decided to make those public conversations and ensure that like, oh, we're not messing with this as black people as a whole. And so I think for Irv, it backfired on him. However, it made me look at Jabra a little sideways because to me, I'm just like, yo, like this was an opportunity for you to build a relationship. And so this harm does not continue because at the end of the day, I don't know if men are actually listening to women when they say, hey, you're hurting me, please stop this. But at least as us talking to each other, we should be able to be like, yo, bro, like cut this out because this is a, this is mad weird. This is weirdo behavior. And can we move forward on this thing so you don't do it again? I don't know if we have the capacity or the bandwidth to truly have that conversation. So I'm thinking around once again, how does this go back to OJ? How does this go back to our inability to hold black men accountable? Because in that moment, it's also recognizing that, yo, this is who they are, but we don't know and we've never seen healthy accountability happen in our community. So because of that healthy accountability actually never happening, we just let this thing go on because we're just like, yo, this is normal. So part of it is us recognizing like, yo, this thing is wrong, but I don't know how to address it because I see this all the time. So that's one thing. But I think the other part to it too is like, where has empathy gone? I don't know if empathy exists anymore in a way that makes actual sense. And maybe it just never existed too, right? Because the part of Ashanti's interview that she doesn't talk about as much or is not getting as much traction 
is the fact that she had to compromise her own safety, right? She had to compromise because there was a pressure for her to record and maintain her own career. So she had to make a decision. My brothers aren't going to defend me. And if I cut off this man and this empire that we're building, do I lose everything? And women tend to be in that conundrum a lot. And I'm not sure if I am the biggest fan of it, but I do recognize that in these moments, we have to acknowledge the fact that bl black men are gatekeepers in hip hop. And, and we get nuanced that we understand that they're not always the gatekeepers in hip hop because now they just let any of them non-niggas in most times, okay? It's also recognized that women who want to exist in this space don't always have the agency to move in the way that they want to in the way that in our minds we imagine that they are able to, right? We just saw the finished product. We never actually saw the behind the scenes things. And that part is the scary part. Once again, we're kind of reinforcing that these women just have to go through it. And we've seen it too, right? We've consistently seen like abuse happen and we've turned another eye. We saw Ike and Tina, right? We've seen Mary J. Blige. We've seen these black women consistently are going through this stuff, but hey, the music is here. And so I think we tend to ignore this, especially when we look at it as an interpersonal relationship. Irv and Ja Rule should have been able to have much more of an intentional conversation around like, yo, this is how you're hurting Ashanti right now. And we need to not do this again. Which then leads me into like this overall idea of like, our community is going to continue to be permissive in the hurt of women and femmes, right? We've taken OJ, we've taken Ashanti and Irv, and now we're going to make the Stallion and male rappers, right? Drake just threw a shot at Make the Stallion on his new track. Even in that, it's now we are making fun of black women's pain, black women's trauma, and that means it's an inability for us to actually see their humanity. There is truly an inability that Drake has and other male rappers have because they are having struggle with the fact that this is another black woman that does not need to depend on them. The difference is that Megan Thee Stallion, she's her own. She's holding her own. She's in an era of hip hop right now that she can exist on her own without having to compromise who she is besides that stupid contract that she was in. <laughs> And in that, I think it's so important to also be able to note people are still defending and trivializing her actual trauma. People are still trivializing the fact that like, in the midst of her dealing with all of this, she's also dealing with intense grief. She lost a mom, she lost a grandmom, she's new into this career and she has to find her way through it. But to see the amount of male rappers and people in hip hop who continuously align themselves and remind these black women that we don't care about them is wild to me because there are still people on the streets who will say, Tory Lanez didn't do it. That girl's lying. There's no way he could have done this. But there's this weird uncomfortability that we continuously have of being able to admit that black men can do wrong. I think we see a lot of calling out happen, but we never see like, how do we make sure that this thing doesn't happen again? Once again, it's that conversation around like, yo, we need to find a way to stop this thing. We need to stop causing harm. How do we stop causing harm, right? And this is, once again, another thing that happened in a public imagination. So when it does come to Megan Thee Stallion and Tory Lanez and Drake and the baby, even Mario aligned himself with Tory Lanez. There is this idea of like, yo, there needs to be some type of solidarity because we still get uncomfortable with a public lashing of black men, public accountability for black men. And this public accountability is continuously reinforced because now we have to look at somebody like a Kanye West and Kyrie. We have an uncomfortable nature around holding black men accountable in public spaces. And the uncomfortable nature is the fact that 
We don't like to do it because who does that give permission to do the same thing? There are conversations that just should happen within our community. How do we ensure that this harm does not happen again? How do we talk to each other like they got some sense? Because at the end of the day, in my opinion, when it comes to Kanye and Kyrie, I'm in the boat of like, yo, why do you want to cause harm in the exact same way that they cause harm to us? We know the power of aesthetics. We know the power of imagery. We've seen what blackface did to the community, and we're still trying to unlearn those. We're still trying to unlearn the Mammy. We're still trying to unlearn the Jezebel. We're still trying to unlearn the Coon. We're still trying to unlearn this hypersexualized black man. And because of us still trying to unlearn all of this stuff, it is becoming ever so difficult to sit there and be like, yo, you passing on this anti-Semitic language or you passing on this anti-Semitic film is actually not doing our community a service. Because this is telling me that you wanna operate in the same way that whiteness allows white men to operate, but we know them to be as violent as ever. Why is black people when we wanna recreate that same violence? Why do we want the same permissions to have that same violence? I actually don't care that Kanye and Kyrie are being held accountable because they're honestly being held accountable in a way that makes sense. Kyrie, uh, they might be dragging it a little bit, but it's a restorative method nonetheless. Acknowledge you did this harm, please give back, make sure you support them, and because you have the means to do it, just do it. Kanye, people are still making excuses for him, right? They found every possible way to blame the Kardashians, they found every possible way to say, well, it's first it's his mental health, then it's the Kardashians, and then it's his intense grief that he's dealing with, we find every reason possible to just be like, yo, we still can't throw them away. We have this fear of throwing away the black man. And when we think about that, I'm thinking around the black man, I forget his name, who was killed by the police, right? We found out his tweets were wild anti-black, anti-black women. We saw the scary reaction to that thing though too. We saw that there were so many black men. I'm speaking this directly on like the Twitter space. You can't just throw him away because he didn't like black women. You can't just throw him away because of what his tweets said. His tweets don't make up the sum of all like the sum of his parts. But there still is something to say around the fact that the anxiety was not around him doing this thing to black women. The 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 anxiety was not about the harm that he did and how to fix it. The anxiety for most of these situations was. Am I going to not show solidarity with a black man? What did it mean to be a black man and not show solidarity with OJ Simpson? What does it mean to be a black man and not show solidarity with your brothers, Irv Gotti? What does it mean to be a black man and not show solidarity with Tory Lanez? Not show solidarity with Drake? Not show solidarity with Kanye? Not show solidarity with Kyrie? Because there is a fear that if we continue to not hold them accountable, if there's a, if there's a space where we are just like, yo, y'all, y'all did this wrong thing, Here's how we fix it and keep it pushing. We're too scared to do that because our community struggles with what actual accountability looks like because we always look at accountability as a personal attack on my character. This means I did a bad thing. This means that I am not worthy. This means that I'm going to be remembered for the worst thing that I've done. But in reality, we got to stop working in these extremes. I make a mistake every single day. I may cause unintentional harm every single day, but I know that I've built up the capacity to understand that that is not me. I understand how to acknowledge when I did something wrong and when I do that thing that is wrong or can cause harm, whether intentionally or not, how to then acknowledge what I did and keep it pushing and ensure that the other person has everything that they need. I think us as black men, we struggle with this a lot because there is still a safety in being respected as a man, <laughs> right? There's still safety in being respected as a man. So if I am gonna do everything in my power to then go say, yo, I don't like what this person did, I don't like what this person said, that 
then means that I've went against the code. I went against the wall of black men, which makes me less of a man, which makes me a simp, which makes me a beta because I don't fully blindly follow what other black men do. My platform actually gives space to humanize black men and the bullshit that we do, but I'm not gonna sit here and say, I love my brother and continue to let him do this thing that is gonna end up killing somebody or killing him. We need, we need to be a little bit more intentional around how we are talking to each other, how we are holding each other accountable, but also recognizing that we've had trouble with this forever. We know what black men go through. We know how people ride for us no matter what, and we see it every single day. There are so many people who stay with black men who are abusive, with black men that have potential. Do not let social media fool you. The talking points will say that black women hate black men, but in reality, they're our biggest supporters. I don't know if we support each other in the way that we need to support each other. That's what I'm worried about. I don't know if we are moving in a way that's preventative. I don't know if we're doing that. I don't know if we're doing a way that truly is showing love and extending grace and extending like, yo, I'm thinking around how I'm treating you. We're not doing that. So to me, I am in a space of frustration because I cannot in good faith continue to sit here and be like, yeah, these black men are, they're, they're martyrs. These black men, we need to make sure we love on them. We need to do this. Like, don't get me wrong. I do this all the time, but I don't know if we're doing it to such a space that it becomes a detriment to those that we love, that it becomes a detriment to our community, that it becomes a detriment to the violence that we see every single day. This is continue to happen as long as we permit black men to do this and operate like that. I think as we close out this episode, my question to you is, when are we gonna have this conversation with each other? When are we gonna be able to sit here and just remind each other, like, it's okay to be held accountable, and this is my way of showing you love. This is me actually not wanting to throw you away. Can black men do that for each other? And can we do it in a way that feels good and doesn't result in the worst of the worst? I'm not sure yet. Please feel free to leave a comment, subscribe, like, engage with this, whatever that looks like. I appreciate your support. This is another episode of This American Negro. This is your boy, Marquise. Make sure to like and subscribe wherever you watch the podcast. And peace.